Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. You got a different beanie on today. This was given to me. This is a Chicago Fire Department hat. Dude, very cool. Kind of feels a little Christmassy. It does. You're right. Fresh look, bro. I was going to ask if you're a fireman, but one, I know you're a priest. Mm-hmm. And two, you actually were a firefighter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So kind of, yeah, you are. <laughs> By those two pieces of information. Dude, that's, that's logic, man. That was a <laughs> syllogism. <laughs> like, nice. So, yeah, you are. So, big news today is, Mike, you got your braces off. This is true. Did you reference to the orthodontist what your sister had said? I think that was like the nail in the coffin. Mm-hmm. He was like, all right, well, if Teresa glimpsed him, from six feet away for half and a second. So they look straight. So they look good. Done. Good to go. <laughs> yeah. No, what do they have they to do? Sh- do they chip them off with a chisel or what? how do they get them off? No, man. They rip them off. They, uh-huh. Uh-huh. They grab them and just... Yeah. So I had to oh, bite man. down on some like little cushion pad thing and oh. they just yanked them. Wow. And oh. I was like... Is it satisfying like when you open like a Amazon package or is it more like frustrating like when you try to get the foil seal off a of peanut butter and there's like little bits left and you know what mm, i mean Ooh, no it's like the second one yep yeah it's like the second one <laughs> uh-huh it just it was like it was a process because then they gotta get all the glue off your teeth right mm-hmm. right oh man and, that and that's one, a physical not a chemical process they don't dissolve I, it off no they don't dissolve it off I, I think if I understand it correctly, how could that, they dissolve it off without dissolving your teeth? That, that's my question. Yep. Well, I, I think know. you should bring not only what Teresa says, but what Rob says to the orthodontist and let him know in case he was going to try to melt the cement off. Be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I don't want you melting my teeth. Yeah. Don't. <laughs> hey, that won't dissolve my teeth, will it? <laughs> and the orthodontist oh. is like, oh, wait, hold on. Actually, oh let gosh, me check the package. Let's get it. <laughs> did not think about that one (laughs) no i think they use a uh it's not a drill bit but it's some sort of material that obviously spins really fast makes really loud noises like a router it's really cold Hmm. Uh uh-huh and so it like but then it hurts Mm. because it hits the nerves of your teeth Mm. when your tooth gets really cold yeah like shoots that nerve into your brain the teeth oh, nerves that's are a, so that's weird. A, shape, oh. a straight shot to the brain, man. Yeah, Dang. straight shot to the brain, and then I'm people are screaming in the orthodontist, <laughs> and there's a bunch of kids and me, and it's me <laughs> screaming, and the kids are like, "What is going on with that adult? Why is that man screaming? <laughs> One, why is he here? <laughs> Two, can I have another one? About three, why is he screaming? <laughs> and, I, and then I yell at him for a little bit mm-hmm. and i'm like you just wait your turn you little punk <laughs> something to that effect but boy you must feel just like a brand new guy oh i i really do yeah it's been great sometimes i forget about it and uh but then i re- actively remind myself like mm. you better enjoy not having braces for the rest of your life 
Did you have him on the bottom as well? Uh huh. Oh yeah. Wow. I had him for two and a half years. Oh my time. gosh! That's a, I can't believe. Did you have him when you were a kid, Rob? Yeah, junior high. Me too. I don't remember how long I had him though. Oh my! It's because it doesn't matter. You're a kid. You're supposed to have braces. Yeah, everybody has them. Yeah. I I got them my first month at my first assignment, my first vocation as a priest. You have had them that you basically your entire priesthood. My almost my entire priesthood, except for when I didn't see anybody because I was doing graduate studies as a priest. Mm-hmm. That's when you looked normal. In my room. Yeah. Do you know what it feels like to be a priest without them? I'm learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is an adventure, guys. <laughs> You can smile at people without scaring them, dude. uh, Totally. Totally. I noticed now when I smile, I would like smile down. (laughs) That's actually sad, dude. (laughs) Yeah, dude, because I would smile all the time. Oh, that's really sad. Yeah, well, you're like interacting with this family and they're like, hey, here we go. There's the faith. It's kind of lively and a little smiley and go. You know, boom. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and i can see it you can register like oh there it was that was yeah. it <laughs> yeah boom gotcha so then you kind of hide it down and hmm. yeah so i i've had to retrain myself to look at people in the eye when i smile <laughs> <laughs> well congrats dude you deserve it thanks man yeah my 13 year old brother who also had braces when I was 31. My 13-year-old brother had them, so that was me. It's like reverse right there. Yep, yep. And uh, he would just like make fun of me all the time for having braces. Like, dude, Chris. Is that Chris? Oh, come I'm on. Punch Chris him is 13. He's crazy. 13. Mm-hmm. My oldest yeah. nephew, my nieces and nephews came in town with my brother and his wife this past weekend, and my oldest nephew's 19. Wow. My youngest nephew, Max, is... Maybe 10. How old are you in fourth grade? He's in fourth grade, 10 or 11. But there's no little kids anymore. Like when, wow. it, come, when it comes to like Santa and stuff. Like, Wow, dude. Mm. I just, I was telling the story the other day to, to um, Tim of uh, my niece Gabby, which we talked about this years ago on the co- podcast. I hadn't thought about it since then. When Santa came and dropped off some presents for the nieces and nephews when they were in town from Texas. And I'm opening, helping Gabby open her trolls after Santa has gone. And she just goes, oh, Santa is so nice. Mm. And it was like one of my favorite memories. And now she's a teenager. Wow. 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 Yeah. I thought y'all were younger. I don't know why. I thought y'all had younger nieces and nephews. Yeah, but then time passes and then they, they, they get less young. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. weird philosophical today (laughs) that is a good point can i tell you a story that just happened at home with one of my nephews Mm -hmm. uh so we were we were up there mom celebrated her birthday and uh all the kids all the siblings got together and uh kevin who's number three he's just younger than me um had this beautiful family they're pregnant with their third um and their two boys are like just these two absolute meatheads and they are we call them the bash bros and they're just hilarious and really wild they love rest i mean they're just so fun um but they're full energy and they're strong-headed i mean they're tough tough 
<laughs> they both have these light up. Are y'all familiar with Paw Patrol? Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Rob knows what I'm talking about. Paw Patrol. They got light up Paw Patrol shoes. And so they like forcefully stomp around the house so that they're constantly lighting up and <laughs> like Paul, when he gets mad is one of my favorite Paul moves. And he's so fat and cute. It's like, it's awesome. It's a great combo. Wait, is this, I didn't mean to do that. That's Anthony. That's his big brother. Okay. <laughs> so Paul get mad and he'll stomp his foot. Uh, and then he'll kind of give this like side peek down at his shoes to see if they lit up when it stopped. Dude, a so he's, like, he's like really mad, but then he'll kind of look down. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, still crushing it. But we were, we were convincing him to jump off the stairs from like little higher and higher steps. And then it became a competition. And Anthony did did three. Paul did two, so Anthony was like, well, I'm going to do four. And these are like they're pretty big jumps. And so we're mm-hmm. all pumped. You know, there's probably like eight of us around the stairs just watching him jump off the stairs, seeing how crazy did they hold on to the banister? No, it was, it was free impressive. fall, man. And then they got so high where Kev, my little brother, their dad, was like, dude, I'll catch you. I'll catch you. So just keep, let's see how high you can go. And five stairs, like mm. easily gets it. Six stairs, easily gets it. Seven stairs, easily gets it. Eight stairs. And he's like, I can't. I don't know, man. And we're like, Anthony, how old can is do it? it? Two or three. Three, maybe. So he's still eight, pretty, pretty eight little stairs. guy. Nice. Eight stairs. And he was like crushing six and seven, easy, like mm. almost over jumping them. But then it got to that point at eight where he was like, I don't know. I can't mm. do this. Wow. And we all got him really pumped and he jumped and like half jumped. <laughs> oh, and he's just too scared. Totally beefed it like oh. so hard and smashed his knees and his shins. Oh. And like Kev caught him so that he didn't like fall face forward and smash mm-hmm. his head or anything like that. But. Where was his it mom was, in all this? Was she approving? She was watching. She okay. <laughs> she's was so making funny. sure. So she, she knew he was okay. It was like one of those you're like, oh, that was loud, but he's going to be mm-hmm. okay. And so she had to kind of like turn and we were all dying laughing. I mean, it was like <laughs> the funniest, but it was so unexpected. Because yeah, I thought it was he, one of those moments where it's like, if you just go for it, yeah. you can totally do it. But he like, he half jumped it. It's so weird. It's, it's, this was um, trying to relearn skateboarding um, with Daniel. It's just the same thing. Like you, you hear guys say it all the time. Like, I just need to commit. I just need to commit. That is one of the main things that keeps you from landing tricks is because you know, there's a moment in, in every jump where you have to decide, am I going to bail here or am I going to not? And if I don't, and the board is in a slightly wrong position, it could totally go out from under me or it could it could go right up in between my legs or something really bad can happen but i won't ever land it unless i take that risk yep um so it's weird like you need the confidence to actually do it but you can't get the confidence until you land it so the art of getting better is like having someone coach you and push you to get out of your comfort zone to try that eighth stair Mm. yeah yeah. And and the thing is, if you don't go all the way, that's actually a better chance that you're going to get hurt. Totally. Doing it, which is a weird relationship 
to mm-hmm. doing things well. Hmm. Uh, so then, so he, he cried for a bit, was like really tough, amazingly tough. And we all kind of rallied around him. And, you know, how you react to things is kind of how they in, understand them and how they, mm-hmm. they take them. So when they fall, it's like, if you make a big deal out of it, they're going to think it's a big deal. And so he kind of, he got over it really quick. And uh, we were like, Anthony, you got to jump three steps. Like, get back up there and jump again. Mm-hmm. And he was like, hell no. Right. <laughs> what, the stairs just like... <laughs> violated my trust and everything i believe in and <laughs> and so then i hopped up and did four stairs which was sick <laughs> did, you, did you touch your heels as you were landing i was like no i mean not that sick but did you do a misty <laughs> flip yeah and that was kind of the point of the story i did four stairs guys. <laughs> <laughs> that's it that's and what i wanted to share <laughs> we still couldn't get him to do it until his little brother paul got up mm. and did two stairs which is mm. just, I wish y'all could see these guys. They're so funny. And we're like, dude, Paul did two stairs. And Anthony's like, two stairs? What? All he so needed he was got, a can and Abel motivation. That's all he needed, man. Just us to praise Paul. And then he got up there and, <laughs> oh my and did three steps. And he was like, back back on top, baby. Boom. Wow. Oh my it gosh. A, it's the whole Garden of Eden in microcosm. It is. It, it was amazing. They're like, Five minutes and all of that went down. Yeah, the trauma was over. It was crazy. Wow. Like a failure into a triumph and a success. That's a great story. Me jumping four stairs. <laughs> How many stairs did you jump again, dude? <laughs> four. Sure it could have been five. I don't know. Again, yeah. there's the theme between just Mike is too big to be where he is doing what he's doing. <laughs> 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 Whatever, dude. I read this interesting book a few years ago. I think it's called A Higher Call. And so the story is very interesting about this. Uh, it's There was a German pilot who was an ace in World War II. And so he's a fighter pilot for Germany. And he just kind of in this moment of like mercy or just kind of being done with fighting, he didn't shoot down an American plane. And then like the story is about the guys in the American plane and this bomber that they were in was like badly damaged and all of that. But he like let them go. And then they ended up they may have met him like years later. So it's, it's a very it's a very good book. Um, but anyway, the, the book itself isn't the, the point that I'm making here. It just reminded me of like your guys's reaction to get your nephew like right back on the stairs after that happened. But they talk about this. So these guys go out like this bomber team and they have this like very near death experience. They almost crash a couple times. And then the only reason they don't get shot down is because a German fighter plane like escorted them off of the coast and they were able to Mm. make it back just barely. But in that, in the description of like the days after that, they said, it, and this was something the army knew, but they made a mistake with these guys because it was such a close call. They gave them like four days off, but they said that that it like just totally spooked them from being able to fly again, and they were never Ooh. really the same. Oh, man. But if they would have gotten them up the next day on a mission, they would have been okay. Oh, man. Isn't that fascinating? 
but they said that was like a known thing in the army. If someone gets shot down, like almost shot down or has this like very close call, then you have to get them up like immediately mm. and start flying again. But if you don't, then it's something with like the fear and how it compounds on itself. And they like couldn't fly again after that. Dude. Yes. <laughs> yes. You got to get right back on the stairs, man. Totally. Connor, what's behind that yes there? <laughs> That's just fear, dude, is... That's just yes, it's true. I mean, we've had to, we've had conversations about this that... Like, I know exactly that yep feeling of, uh, yeah, you almost got shot down. And then just all of a sudden, like every minor thing that you, you used to take with no thought whatsoever is now a life or death thing. Like I could see how that could happen so easily to a, a pilot, but even in smaller stakes things, and it just feels like something you hear about a lot, something I've definitely experienced. I've seen that as far as like a dad's intuition, like just teach watching my nieces and nephews learn how to ride bikes. And it's just like, man, if they have a crash, I, I've seen my siblings do that. It's just like, I mean, you got to comfort them sometimes if it's bad, but it's, I mean, immediately you got to get them back up like right. on mm -hmm. the bike and it, but it has to be immediate. It has to be right away. Right. Before you really have time to think about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Cause fear it's like, it's not irrational. It's almost like too rational. You're overthinking it, you know? And that's, that's kind of what happened to Anthony on the eight stairs is that he just overthought it. Like he went from like four, I can do five, I can do six, I can do seven. And once you're up there, you look at it and you're like, this is pretty exhilaratingly high and scary, but it makes me want to do better. It makes me want to jump even harder. And then you get to that one, one extra step and just, it's like, enough of a different feeling enough of a frightening adventure that you're like actually no i don't want to do this and they're all like cheering for me and i feel this t pressure and but i can't i can't like let myself i can't like let my guard down right. you know it's like you're too guarded um and you're trying to and you need to be free and the fear is clamping you up you know i for sure Totally for sure. No, I, I hate, uh, singing in public and I love singing the mass and I want to sing the mass well, but then when I get in public and try and sing it, I can feel, I can feel my vocal cords literally tensing up, mm -hmm. which is weird because it, it's doing the one thing that will keep me from doing the thing I want to do well. It's like, yep. so the, this fear response, it has, it, it's, even though it's reacting so that, uh, because you care about something very much, it actually moves you in the opposite direction, which is weird. Yeah. It's like, it's the fear is there to defend you against what humiliation, but then it humiliates you because your shaky, tense voice, right? It does the is thing exactly that, what you're trying not to do. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've had that with preaching where you, like, I remember I preached, um, well, anyway, I've preached some, some bigger masses, retreats and conferences and, and things like that. And 
oh man, even though you're like, this is not about me, this is, you know, the liturgy, it's about the Lord, it's about directing people's hearts to him. There's just something primordially scary about being up there with nothing but an outline and some stuff in your head that you're, you know, onto, you know, people are looking at you expecting to be inspired, which is not an easy thing to do to people with words. Like, oh, I got a lot of pressure on me right now. And um, you're very desire to like, just kind of mean what you say and let it flow um, and trust your preparation and your prayer and everything makes you squeeze and white knuckle it so much that it, it I lose my train of thought. I have lost my train of thought. And then that will the next time I get up there be like, I'm, it's going to happen again. You know, I got shot. I almost got shot down last time I went up. You know, I yeah. guess that's what's behind the yes to me is I know that fear. Right. Yeah. But then you, but then you do keep getting up and yeah, I think with like priestly well, thank stuff, God we have to, you know, like I, I, I have to do totally, it every day. Totally. Totally. We're, so we're forced in this moment of redemption perpetually. Right. And I think, yeah, but think about the difference. There is something there of like, you have to do it every day. Like you're preaching. If you just bomb on a homily, you're preaching next weekend. Like, yeah, that's how it goes. But can you imagine just tanking a homily, getting flustered and then being like, ah, okay, like take a few weeks off. There's always next month. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. It would so settle in. It totally would. And that's where I think like the the forms of knowing, the the ways that we can come to know things. Um, like you can know a rational proposition, but then when it starts to, you start to physically know it, like it becomes embodied in you, incarnated in you. And I think doing the thing over again with your body immediately in order to counteract the, the rational overthought that's going to go into it mm-hmm. is like, no, I, I don't want to fight the fear with a thought. I want to live the truth that I am competent, that I can do it, not just with my mind, but actually like embody it. That we, it seems like we learn that in a really powerful way when we physically engage in the activity as well. That's why you can't just say, no, it's okay. You can do it three stairs. Now you have to say, like, get up and you can and do three stairs. Mm-hmm. That there's a different way of knowing that. That, yeah, it's not just an intellectual thing. But as a matter of fact, when it only remains intellectual, it almost always tends towards the increase of fear or the, you know, to the extreme into the darkness. It leads you away from what you're capable of. Mm-hmm. But then you hop back up and do it again. And you're like, no, I can do it. Yeah. And I, I'm not just saying that, like, I'm going to communicate that with my body. So it's a much more human manner of doing the thing, of living in the truth. You know, and it's it's very personal, too, because, I, you know, as you were telling that story about Anthony, I was thinking, like, he was he is a very tough kid. And I was I was not like that. A, like, physically brave or be in front of all those people performative, you know, like I would have been the kind of kid where I would have practiced by myself and tried to get, you know, a few stairs and then been eager to show off to a select few like my dad or something like, Hey, look what I can do. But 
just getting hyped up in front of a bunch of people taking a huge spill like you have the physical sphere and then you have the humiliation and then to mm-hmm. just like get back up you guys as his family you know have to read the kid and be like what is actually helpful for this kid right now because mm-hmm. what i would have probably needed was my mom to go off and like for me to just forget that there's a world out there and to just have someone say it's okay everything's fine you don't have to do anything you don't want to do you don't have to get back on the stairs you know you're okay and then like slowly but surely get me back on this in the saddle um Mm. but some kids are just get back on you know like get over it and that is the best thing part of me wishes i could be like that and maybe i'm more like that now i don't know um but it's, it's part of it is like fathering that person that needs the encouragement and needs to believe in themselves again, because yeah. you can't just tell them, no, you're a good singer. Come on, sing in front of the people where everybody's here at dinner and you're such a good singer. I hear you singing, sing. And then the kid is like, I don't want to sing. Sing, Connor. <laughs> sing. You know? And you think like you think you're being a good father because you're like, come on, I, oh, I want you to be proud of yourself. I'm proud of you. And you it ends up becoming this fight. Because you're like, I don't want to do that. Mm. That's a scary place for me, or something. You're not, you're not giving me a chance to, to be, to feel confident. You know, right. Hmm. Um. Well, I have something that may may shift the combo a little bit. You got anything, Mike? First, your no, 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 no. I, I, I do think it's a really good point, though. Mm-hmm. That, the, it's always personal. And like the father has to know his son or has to know his daughter and mom has to know their children in order to know what they're capable of and what they need right Mm -hmm. there. Uh, Yeah. And like, you just can't fake that. So it has to be such a, like what an intimate place right there that that is where you catch him, he's crying, you hug him, you comfort him. And then you say, no, like, I think you can do this, man. And now if you, if you want to climb up the stairs, you can, you can get up there and jump off those three steps. Look at you your know? uncle Mike. He did four. It was sick. <laughs> I, I did almost kind of slip, but I had socks on. It was bad, but I didn't even wear a helmet. So I was pretty tough, pretty brave. But that fatherhood, it's just so beautiful. Like when you see it lived out well and Mm. then it makes it produces beautiful moments but then it also leads to freedom for those kids Mm. and then we all got to rejoice in it we're like dang dude that was pretty (laughs) that was pretty insane Mm -hmm. we just did that right there but uh thanks be to god like he was resilient enough to hop back up there and give it another go Mm -hmm. yeah so just some extra thoughts there, Rob. Sorry. Well, um, it's just interesting having this conversation. So, and sorry to timestamp the episode, but been tr- I've been trying to come up with my like Christmas Eve homily here, and something that's been yeah, I don't know. It's just been on the heart, like in in, in prayer. But um, I just feel a pull to like I don't know, at least try and share with people. Um, like the strength of God, like the strength of God. But how do you, so my question is like, how do you convey 
and I think what's coming up like this conversation of just that that whole notion of like if it's fatherhood of but like knowing your like knowing this this person in a personal way that you can like orchestrate something for them to respond to that you know their heart and I think that's part of like the strength of having a personal God. But the question is like, how do you convey the strength of God in a baby, like in the person of, of Jesus? And I watched this show um, recently on Netflix called The Witcher. Have you guys seen that show? I've seen the icon for it. Um, it's terrible. Mm-hmm. Like I do not, it, well, it's not terrible. It's There's cool parts of it, but it's like weird sci-fi it's definitely not family friendly friendly so this is not a 3dn um wreck but I did watch it and it was enter- entertaining in in some ways but had in one of the the latest episodes just had just an effective movement which is totally subjective to me but the guy who plays the main character in it is the same guy i think that plays superman in the most recent movies i don't know his name but he's just this like enormous guy and he plays this like very like just kind of wild character, but he deeply this character deeply cares for this girl in in the show that and he's her protector. And so he becomes like this father figure to her. And then he's betrayed by somebody else in the show and like loses the girl for for a little bit and and goes and saves her again. And he's like furious in in this scene. And somebody asked him, like, you know, is the girl yours? And he just, he like responds and he just repeats the word, like, mine, mine. And um, I don't know, there's just something. So, again, not to get into the show, but the, the effective movement there was like, there was this portrayal of like, like kind of wildness and like fury directed towards protecting someone to say, like, this person belongs to me, like, you mm-hmm. are mine. And I don't know, I just feel this pull of like, yeah, I deeply believe that's how God loves us of, is that like, no, this person is mine, no matter what. And I will do anything to save this person. Like I'm their protector and I know them and I'll keep like going after them. And so I think that's like, that was just an effective movement of like there is this like wildness to god like this kind of um uncontrollable strength that i've experienced and i have this pull to preach on it but then we celebrate jesus as a baby who's totally dependent you know in in those ways so i'm not saying anything new i don't know i'm just i'm just pondering on like how do you preach on that like how do you convey how do you convey that someone i don't know if that makes any sense like i said it's just processing in me it totally does dude and you know what the first thing when i hear things like this i there's part of me that um is like feuerbachian and whenever i hear um in other words there's a temptation in me to think like yeah wouldn't that be nice if god was like that if God was, you know, like cared about me that much and was that protective and that much of a father and was so personal that he knew exactly what I needed. And, but that's just me projecting wishful thinking and then saying, that's what God must be like. Cause that's what I want him to be like, you know? Um, but then you, you also have the fact of your heart's own experience. Um, 
of of being loved and and being known and desiring those things and it just kind of making sense you know and and the times i don't know it's it's a deep mystery like one of the things i keep going back to since i've read it is from jisani the religious sense the idea of a, like if a river could contemplate itself it would know like if it went back far enough in itself to its point of origin there's something that transcend it transcends it that causes it to be all the time the, the wellspring you know that's welling up from the mountain or the underground that that causes the river to constantly flow that's us we exist and here we are and we have these things these movements these loves these desires these fears and where do they come from that like we're just a question to ourselves and and then something happens like the incarnation and then we witness it you know either through the the liturgy of the church and the teaching of like our parents teaching us the story and and just the other night um I was just like really, really sad about a lot of stuff and um, had, had gotten some some new recent hits. And by the grace of God, I just reached out and um, to some friends and, and we went and we sang some Christmas carols on the street um, with some nuns and priests and seminarians and uh, in a poor neighborhood. And this guy on the street asked if we could sing Silent Night. And we sang it and I just started losing it. Mm. Um, it's such a simple song and it's so familiar and it always makes me see the virgin and child and the shepherds quake and uh, beams from thy holy face, this baby, the re re dawn of redeeming grace. And like the hope that we put in this baby and this mother in the stable and that this is like the beginning of turning it all around back to to God. And this is his bold plan and that wildness. There's a revelation about it that like it just I didn't make this up. I just received it. And it it answers the uh, the questions somehow, not in that they, they're resolved, but like there's this ache, there's this pain, there's this hope in me that's empty and waiting to be filled. And somehow this is a sign that that it can be and it is being filled um so yeah there that's not an answer to the question but there is something to the wildness and the power of god in that in the tragicness of the incarnation because we know how it ends we know he's come to die and be weak but that itself is a manifestation of his power Right, and even in the simplicity of that song, there's power in that. Um, yeah, and and maybe that's it is. It's like that. I mean, I, I just think of that Haiti experience. Like, do I have to reimagine what the word peace means? I have to like reunderstand this word, and I think the incarnation does something <clears throat> like that to power. Like, I, I don't know what that means because, yeah, this is like the most powerful moment, objectively the most powerful moment in all of human history. And it's in a cave with a child. Like, tell me how that makes sense. And I don't know. Uh, I mean, I, I, I preached on it one time on the passage with um, 
if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could move mountains. You could ask the mountain to get up and it, the tree to get up and it'd go into the, into the lake. And I remember being out in Colorado and when you see like some of those big, big mountains that some of them are actually split and rent open um, by little seeds that will fall into the cracks and then take root. And then the tree grows kind of like in and through the mountain and slowly splits it open and literally like moves mountains. Hmm. And like Christ, he plays that out. Like he's this little seed that enters into the world. And there's this almost nothing moment. But then like from this tree of life, like splits open the whole world. And he does that and it grows into that seamless void. Or like, I'm hungry for this. I have a desire for it. And Christ's power is the tree in seed form. And we can't all, like, I don't see that, but I believe that that's true. Which kind of, as I'm saying that, like, I guess that's the paradox of Christianity. I gave an Advent retreat and for like 10 minutes, I tried to say one thing about Christmas and then would have to say another thing that was utterly the opposite Hmm. and seemingly contradictory. You're like, yeah, it's because Christ breaks language, like Baron would say. But he also is the thing that unifies it all and makes it all make sense. So simultaneously, he stretches it, but then and he unifies it. Hmm. Like, I, mean, I don't want to just throw it up and say like, well, mystery. Mm-hmm. But in a way, what else can you do? But that's always been a helpful image for me is the power of a tree mm-hmm. in seed. Well, that's I guess that's what I mean by the river analogy too, is like that makes sense to me intellectually that there must be, if I'm here and I have these feelings and I exist and I can't account for that, there's like this origin of all being. But what is that like? You know, what is he like? He's not going to be less personal than me. He's not going to be less loving you know, um, and therefore like the breaking language thing, it's, it's, it doesn't, it shouldn't surprise me that there's something totally above and beyond my understanding, but that also I would recognize him, you know, and I would, it would make sense to me somehow. And it would, it would map to my desires, but that it would stretch, stretch me beyond what I would ever imagine, you know, like I cannot stay here. I cannot stay content um with these things that i play with and mess around with i have to i have to be broken open you know which is what i guess i was feeling on the street that day was just like this world (laughs) it needs light it needs this baby so bad you know and we never would have picked it we never would have wrote that wrote wrote it this way you know a beautiful story yeah reminds me of and i haven't read him in a while um reminds me of corbone like just reading corbone and um 
Yeah. I mean, just, I remember that was like, I think it was in Corbone that, uh, that was the first time I'd been exposed to the language of like the economy of salvation and like Jesus comes then in the fullness of time. So there's this like, you know, I, this might correct me if this is maybe an incorrect use of the, the term, but like, there is this, like, there's this fullness there, but there's like this completeness of, you know, it's like, yeah, I, I don't know how to say, but I go back to what you said there, Mets of like, he breaks language. Like, that's crazy to, to say, but it's the only thing that really fits. Um, I don't know. That's a lot to, that's a lot to reflect on, man. Mm. Yeah. The, he, he breaks language. And the thing that gets me about that is he's also the only way that language makes sense. Mm. And he's both of those things, right? That it's the only thing that will do. And it's not enough. So he like, yeah, he expands it and shatters it. And but then also unifies it, like makes it possible. That's helpful to me, though, of, yeah, even going back. And I don't know if we ever talked about that specific conversation on the cast, but after our trip to to Haiti, there was this notion that um, I think we both experienced this in a very real way. But there was like because the poverty of what we saw there and like some of the some of the images that are still with me to to this day, I had to redefine what peace was because before, like the fact that that is in the world kind of didn't allow for my prior definition of, of peace, at least in my own heart. And so that's very interesting to me and helpful too, of like the incarnation does that to power to say like it, ha- you have to let it shatter it. Hmm. to even try and grasp it. Hmm. Yeah, there's a lot that we could break into there. Yeah. Just because of the obsession with power and uh, how Christ directs those things properly. Um, You know, again, using the barren language, the difference between the ego drama, which leads to worldly power and the theodrama, which leads to Christian gospel power they are two totally different things, but oftentimes they're misunderstood and sometimes conflated that like it's been perceived before that Christianity is a structure that was implemented for power, worldly power play reasons. And to make things worse is people have actually used Christianity for worldly power play reasons. Mm -hmm. And so they've actually played in terms that are not correct like we do this. Yeah, we still do it. You know, we, yeah, we do this. And so it makes understanding authentic, the incarnation, even harder, but I think even more important because it does seem to be an important place where like we don't understand, but then the world also doesn't understand. And It's like yeah, the saints, man, the Mark Twain's story of Joan of Arc, <clears throat> how he's just like the he wasn't even convinced that Christ was real, but Joan of Arc was documented under oath in a French court, you know, or British yeah. court. <clears throat> and there she was like mm. completely herself and didn't make any sense. Why, why would a 17 year old illiterate peasant girl 
be in charge of the armies of France and win. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Unless St. Michael's actually talking to her. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, even that, yeah. Another, I think, kind of angle on that lens is um, that book, Making Sense Out of Suffering, that I've been reading through with a few people. The the chapter on the prophets we just got through, and he closes with John the Baptist, and it's just like a page that he has on John the Baptist. And Crave's point, it's just so, it's like so clever and eloquent, and but simple at the same time on John the Baptist. And he talks about like why John is the greatest of the prophets. And it's not because like, it's not in any way because of like his skill or, or what he says. It's just the only reason that's true is because of his proximity to Jesus. Like he's the closest one and he's also mm-hmm. the one that says the least. So all he does is call to repentance or just a turning to God who has a face. Yeah. Makes you think we shouldn't make our homilies too long. Yeah. Man, good point. (laughs) Good point. Good point. See, that's the fun stuff where it's like, if this is true, then what does that mean for my priesthood? Well, maybe I need to quit (laughs) preaching long homilies. Maybe I shouldn't be so afraid of preaching a bad homily because it doesn't, Hmm. the stakes aren't, it's not about me. Even redefining what that means. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so fun. And I think that's where the freedom comes in, which is an, a result of authentic power of Christ. You know where the freedom comes in, Mike? Braces. The braces being off. Yeah, <laughs> Having those pearly <laughs> whites, man. Makes oh, you feel like man. you could jump four stairs in a single bound. Dude, yeah. I heard of a guy who did that once. <laughs> hey, man, if you during your Christmas homily, if you lose track and you don't know where you're at anymore, just stop. Like those chaps. Just, just give everyone a big smile. Yeah, it'll be fine. Go sit down. <laughs> Tooth glint. Bling. <laughs> Ding. Just flick them. People will forget you were even talking. <laughs> Pull the quick. Look over there. That's kind of scary. Back. I believe in here. one God, Father the Almighty. <laughs> All right, Connor. I know you got to get going. Yes, sir. See Good to see you guys. Yep. See you, dudes. Happy Christmas. Follow Three Dogs North on Instagram. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisc, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.